don't know either. All right. Uh, testing. Hello, everybody. All right. Yeah, we're good. All right. <laughs> I guess we're live then. We're live. Welcome back, everybody, to the No Name Podcast. The, the Nameless Podcast. <laughs> so. That's right. We're yeah. nobody here. Yeah. Oh, I see you we got some a... stuff up there on the board. Well, I mean, not really. That was just like weekly news. Okay. Just on the top left. Stuff on the bottom is obviously not part of... (laughs) That's that's a current topic. It's not a topic to talk about at the moment. Okay. Well, we can hang off on that one. That was just something I was trying to come up with. (laughs) (laughs) But it is interesting, Figure out things. You put the the GameStop stock situation up there right at the top. Yeah, I I don't even know a lot about it. I don't know much, although I've, I've been fascinated just to, to watch that it's blowing up in people's faces. I think that's yeah. fantastic. I mean, from what I know, uh, the whole stock situation was a person on Reddit, uh, Wall Street Bets, I think mm-hmm. is his account's name. I think he had, from what I know, he had like a, a large following, and he just told all of his people okay, to go stock. start buying some stocks and... Like GameStop and AMC, because their stocks weren't really that valuable. Yeah. So then they started buying all the stocks, <laughs> which started to raise it, mm-hmm. and now now they can sell the stocks for more money because since the stocks went up, yeah, they have the stocks for cheaper price, so they make money off it, and it's pissing off all the Wall Street people. <laughs> yeah, it was my understanding that the reason they wanted to do that in the first place was to get back at the Wall Street hedge fund managers. Yeah. Because generally speaking, it's the hedge fund guys and it's the prediction analysts in the stock market that kind of control what's going on. So they'll they'll sit up there, and this is a, a great caricature. Uh, it's, it's not exactly what happens all the time, but they'll sit there and they'll go, okay, we want the price of this stock to go up, so we're going to buy quite a bit of it, and then we'll tell people that it's going to go on the rise. And so it gets a whole bunch of people to go, oh, that's a hot stock. I'll go out there and buy it, which, of course, you get enough people to buy it, it makes the price go up. And then that hedge fund, it's got all these stocks that it bought ahead of time or the prediction analyst, and then they can sell it when the price goes up. So they're essentially engineering the price to go up for their own benefit. Yeah. And some of the people that take their advice might get the benefit too, but chances are they'll dump all their stock at once, which will cause a, a massive crash on that individual stock. And nobody knows that it's them that's actually yeah. causing the rapid rise and fall. That's how they make their money. And then you got <laughs> situations like the GameStop, Nokia, the BlackBerry stocks, yeah. where it's short sellers. So they, they essentially, the, the hedge fund managers, will bet against those stocks. And it's interesting. I'm not super big on the stock market, but they'll essentially set up a profile which will... It'll sell the stock when it gets up to a certain uh, height, and it'll yeah. also buy the stock when it gets to a low, low number. And you have to put up that money in advance. And so, if you put up that money, hoping that the stock gets super low so you can buy it, and then you've got R slash Wall Street bets that tells everybody to go buy it, and the price goes up, then all that money you put in to buy the stock when it's really, really low it pretty much gets lost because you'll, you'll never get to the price you set it to buy at. Yeah. It's just way too low below what uh, the price actually is. It's, it's interesting to see. Yeah, well, it, it's great because for so long the hedge fund managers have been controlling what's going on. Yeah. And so now they're all bitter about the fact that somebody else is getting a piece of that pie. They're only making what, like at most like $2,000. What? The, I don't know. The yeah, people are buying it? Yeah. Well, probably. Which is... Oh, but that's two thousand dollars a person that yeah. the, the billionaires are not yeah. getting. So, and it's probably the most fascinating thing to see is the fact that they have these different organizations in their pocket. And I'm talking about the billionaires at the moment because yeah. if you noticed with Robinhood, they shut down the buying of the GameStop didn't, stock. Didn't they um, limit to like where you can only buy two stocks per person from GameStop? Or... I think they've opened it back up to that now. Well, but I know for a while they just cut it off completely. They cut it you off could completely. only okay. sell the stock because I knew there was a lot going around like Robin Hood saying they he was. Yeah, and they've only opened it up a little bit, okay. and that's still immoral in my reasoning or well, yeah. unethical at least. Because 
the whole point of the stock market, and this is from my limited knowledge, but the whole point is that it's a free and open market. Like yeah. Anybody can buy and sell. The only thing that's off limits is insider trading. So where you go, hey, you know, I work for Apple and we're about to release a new product, so buy some stock, and then it'll obviously shoot up when the new product is released. That's yeah. illegal. But the thing that they're trying to say is illegal, which is... Uh, collaboration in this sense where a whole bunch of people on reddit say go buy the stock that's not illegal yeah you can do uh, that yeah yeah they might put a law on <laughs> they, the they might they might this. put yeah but i'm if nothing else i'm happy to see there's some sort of challenge to the the strictures that are in place all of the the higher-ups that have been pulling the strings for so long yeah it's, it's pretty good so yeah that's, you, that's interesting did you try and buy any stocks no i don't i don't either I did think it was interesting, though, because a number of months ago, I'd thought about buying GameStop stock just on a whim, because I like my GameStop, yeah, yeah. so I was like, I'll support them. It was yeah. really cheap at the time. But what was it, like 50 cents or something? It was It was like a couple bucks a stock, and now it's, now it's over what, like 300. Yeah, 300? It's, I don't know what it is. Than, I don't know. It's a lot of... It's I, I've heard multiple numbers of what it is, but I don't actually do stock, so... I mean, when they uh, when Robinhood opened back up the the buying, even in limited capacity, it began to skyrocket again. So they were buying as much as they could. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it's gone past the Reddit few that were doing so. Now it's a major movement, and they can't yeah. really stop it now, even yeah. though they've tried unethically to do so. Well, now that that works, you know somebody else could do it again for a different uh, stock, yeah. and it, for any other stock they want. Yeah, really. they could do whatever they wanted. So. Get some of those penny stocks and get it to shoot through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that's a good idea. Go buy a few. That's cheap probably going to happen. It's probably going to happen. I won't tell anybody to do it because I'm I'm very illiterate when it comes to uh, the stock market. I, I don't I don't even understand stocks that well. So yeah, I'll that's leave why that I to the stocks. So <laughs> I don't know. It's cool. It's cool to see. So yeah. They're, they're talking about like a hold the line, like don't sell your stocks. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like just hold on to it. I love it. It's funny to see people on Twitter like that. So. <laughs> that finally hold the, the line, <laughs> don't sell. <laughs> I just the, the the point that they they found a loophole that allows them to get the upper hand against somebody that's usually so powerful they can't even be challenged. Yeah, that's what's fascinating to me. It's it's. And, like, the, the whole Robin Hood debacle of them stopping it was fascinating. And the reason I think it's so unethical is the fact that the CEO of Robin Hood has received $800,000 from one of the hedge funds that's directly hampered so, so by the GameStop situation. Paid them to stop. So it's kind of like they paid. I won't that say that be for illegal. certain. That should be illegal. <laughs> but it's kind of, it's highly questionable. What what was that payment for? Yeah. I think they, they said it was for a speech or something, but it's like. You don't just pay somebody eight hundred thousand dollars for one speech mm. at one event. I don't. It's suspicious, it and that's is, it's but... raised people's red flags. Going something behind the scenes is illegal, and they're trying to ferret it out. Yeah, but yeah, man. it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. I, I love the drama. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually looking forward to this happening again. <laughs> yeah, it probably will. So. I wouldn't mind seeing it. It was funny because I had just got Reddit like a week before. Oh, did you? A week before that happened. <laughs> so you get to see this happening yeah. in real time. I, I didn't know like what, what was happening. I was like, okay. Because <laughs> from what I knew, I was like, oh, GameStop and AMC, they're close to a dying business. Yeah. I mean, they've got time, but they're a dying business. And it's... <laughs> It's just like like Sky uh like GameStop just starts boosting and all its sales on the stock. I'm like, wait a minute, something's going on. <laughs> Maybe I should have bought some. I don't know, but yeah, it would have been great to get on the front of this movement and like just get a whole bunch. Day of Day one, like if you yeah. saw the post and just been like, yeah, I'll buy yeah. three for ten bucks, whatever. Yeah, and you'd have like six hundred and eight hundred bucks now. <laughs> Dude, it, that'd be awesome. Or buy like fifty thousand dollars of stock at the beginning. You're gonna be doing great. <laughs> don't think i could yeah it's well, too late now no we need to do that we need to get into stock trading it would be interesting but beat them at their own game i see i think the stock market is interesting because it would allow anybody it's sort of like gambling really yeah it allows anybody regardless of their status to if they're talented enough or they get lucky enough they can boost themselves up to a, a really nice position financially but my whole thing against the stock market that I've always felt is that it's if anybody succeeds really well, somebody else has to 
fail. Fail. Yeah. And that it's dealing with money and, and incomes and people's livelihoods at the end of the day. I mean, if, if you do the stock market as wisely as possible, I don't think that's an issue because you diversify. So you put some in this type and some in that type, and then you've got some that's not even in the stock market. It's in physical gold or, yeah. or even just in a bank account earning interest. Um, so if you lose everything in the stock market, you're not bankrupt. But so many people, they just invest everything. And then they do aggressive uh, strategies, which are the high-risk yeah, and so when they lose everything, I mean that's truly everything. Their their full retirement for the rest of their lives, or you know they can't afford their house anymore, kind of stuff. Yeah, but so it's like, they're the ones who make the choice to do that, though. It's so. true. It's true. It's a very vicious cycle because there's money managers out there that will push them into that. So it's like I don't know. I'm glad I haven't invested yet, and I'm yeah. sure it's not as vicious as I assume. But well, maybe if you're not like. Spending your whole life doing it, right? Like, and it's certainly, your job is stocks. Compared yeah, to and it. I think it's it's not unethical if you're not the person that's that's leading people into these different investment strategies. If you're the one just investing on your own terms, I think you're fine yeah. from a, a moral standpoint. Certainly. Yeah. You ever gonna get into stocks? Maybe one day. One day. Oh, I do want to uh, start investing in my retirement. That's a big thing for every young person. I think everyone ought to be looking at that in some regard. Um, not a lot of young people have the money to put away into that kind of thing, but if you have anything, it's better than nothing. So I'll put all my savings into one stock. <laughs> you see, that's I wouldn't <laughs> recommend that at all. If you're if you're intending to retire off of something, like a lot of times, if you want to get involved in the stock market at all, let your work handle it because there's a lot of works that will uh, do 401k plans, and yeah. so you put in a certain amount of your paycheck, and then they'll match it to a certain percent. And so there's lots of money going into it. And then it's relatively safe because you can set the strategy. You can do like dormant. That's not what they call it, but it's like it's very safe. So you might only earn a tiny bit of a fraction of interest on what you put into it, but it's not going to lower. And then you've got like a moderate amount. So it might lose some, but it also has a chance to gain some. But it's fairly safe. You're not going to go bankrupt overnight. And then there's aggressive, which is... You pretty much put all your your pennies in one pot, and you hope that you win big. And they rel- they usually say to go aggressive when you're young because the chances of you losing something are high, but you also have the chance of gaining it back and then holding on to it. Yeah. But then as you get older, you start going back the line, so you go to a more moderate strategy, and then the safest of all to keep your money yeah. right before you retire. But in, as far as individual retirement. I've always felt that the best approach is a Roth IRA, which there's two types of IRA. There's regular, just plain IRA, and then there's a Roth IRA. And an IRA is an account in which you put money. I think you can put up to 5000 or $6,000 a year into it, and it's just an account that sits there. Um, it's managed by the government. And uh, in a regular IRA, you put your money in, and you're not taxed at the beginning. But when you draw that money out, when you become eligible for retirement at 65 or 70 um, then you get taxed on whatever you pull out so it's at whatever the rate is of income tax but a Roth IRA you pay the tax up front so whenever you do pull out the money it's free essentially so whatever you're getting you get that full amount and so I think that's probably the wisest strategy any young person can do is Try and find a job that'll match you on a 401k plan and then also do a separate account of your own on top of regular savings. Like yeah. Diversification really is the best strategy. So have multiple interests that you put your money in. Yeah, don't put all your, what, all your eggs, eggs in, one in one basket. One basket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Because uh-huh. I know like my, my grandmother or grandfather, both my grandmother and grandfather, uh, on my mom's side, lost a lot of money in the stock market just because they were kind of hands-off. They'd give their money to a money manager, and then he would do stocks that he felt were going to be fine. But I don't remember if he, he didn't hold up his end of the bargain or he invested too aggressively or something, but they lost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, it wasn't everything, but it's like, I'm I'm wary. <laughs> I'm wary yeah. of the stock market. That's that's kind of how, like, uh, I agree, the stock, stock market is still gambling. So yeah, I, just, I just don't do any gambling. Yeah, there you go. 
currently. So some of my coworkers are uh, addicted to the scratch off cards. Dude, it's like I are, see them waste so much money so on stupid. those. I I like, agree with you. I bought one one of those scratch off Mm-mm. for like a dollar. Did you win anything? No. Okay. And I wasn't even trying to win money. It was for something else I needed it for. Right. So it's but, like, okay. But I was like, you know, scratcher. We'll see. <laughs> Gotta like, one well, big. First one I lost. Why, would, why would I go dollars. for more? <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know. This seems kind of dumb, but. Well, for a lot of people, it is incredibly addictive. Well, yeah. But, and I guess it's just the the hope of winning. Yeah. It's like I'm, I might you know change everything that I am. Yeah. And then overnight. you have like the all those different gambling, uh, like yeah, gambling uh, sites and gambling sites and, and the casinos. You know, if if it nobody wins this week, it goes up by ten billion or oh, something. Like Powerball and Powerball and all yeah. that. And you're like, oh, next week I could get Even forty more. billion dollars. And then yeah. We after that, it's five. You know, it, it just, just keeps going up, up and up. It's like, yeah, the odds. It's it's pretty crazy because you know everybody dreams about yeah what if I won the lottery you know and then there's there's an age old saying you gotta play to win so everybody goes well maybe I'll get one or or something like that but very few people look at the actual winners like what happens to them after they win um, a lot of them end up just absolutely destroyed by it because the funny thing about winning the lottery if you're not careful and you don't disguise your identity. You'll have lots of family members suddenly crawl out of the woodworks, and they're all going to be incredibly needy. Yeah. So they they'll want your money, and it, it gets to be pretty much a vicious display of the depravity of man. And every person is like this to some degree. So it's like we're, we're yeah. none of us are completely saved from it. If you won the lottery, what do you think you would do with the money? That's a good question. Because. I'd, I've got a money manager friend that I'd probably immediately go to. He's probably the only person I would trust with the money. And I'd just talk to him about it. But to start with, I would do what some of those people do, where they'd, they'd like put on a mask and gloves when they go in to Item sign clothes. the stuff. Because it's like, I don't care if you think you have the, the most righteous family on planet Earth. And you might. Greed is a very... Very powerful thing. It is. It is. In, even even for like me and you, it, it affects everybody. Yeah, cause like I would trust my own, you know, immediate family, but I'm not sure about all the the far-reaching cousins and everybody that can trace their lineage to me that would come out. Oh, I agree. With like that. I, yeah. I don't, I don't know them very well, and I wouldn't trust them as far as I could throw them. Yeah. But like I would mask my identity, and then when I'd got the money, I'd probably just hold on to it, or or invest a portion of it. I would, I would probably like yeah hold on to it and i would probably just pay off any like my student loans i would definitely yeah any of the immediate a, a bills start. that i need i'll just wipe those out yeah so i mean it would, it would be very freeing for sure I'd, I'd probably you know take it in half and then donate half of it to a number of charities i guess it'd be a good thing to do with the money um i would love to have that much money and then be able to do whatever job I wanted because I wouldn't stop working. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you could use that money to go to school for yeah. anything and then get the job. Mm. But you w- it, with that kind of money, you wouldn't have to have a job that was very laborious. So yeah. I wouldn't be limited to field work anymore. I could yeah, get a good education yeah. and do something that's less stressful and less physically demanding but is still work because I think that's what kills a lot of them. They just stop they stop working, they get them a big mansion in Hollywood, and then the money goes away very, very quickly. Yeah. It just hemorrhages out all sides, and then they're they're bankrupt, and they're worse off than they were to begin with. Yeah. It's like, you've got to well, be very careful. The, the government them. gets part of the, like, how much do they get? Oh, they get a, a massive it's a amount. Late, it's not 50%, is it? It's, is uh, it more than 50%? It's a lot of money, and it depends on how you take it, because there's some system there's like two major ways of payout you can get it all as a lump sum which they cut off the taxes and then a certain amount beyond that because they don't necessarily have all the the millions or billions of dollars on hand yeah or you can get a um like a monthly or a yearly payout of so much money and you end up getting about the same amount of money maybe a little bit more by that system but that's dependent on you living long enough to get it all so screw it (laughs) I've watched somebody once break down those two, and I think the best way to do it is to just get the lump sum and invest it because you'll earn more in interest than you would getting the the small payments over time. Okay. 
Hmm. I don't know. I'm never going to win the lottery because I'm not going to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think I'll, I'll ever play. So, but it's an interesting thing. So. Yeah, nobody can say that everybody is good or people are basically good because <laughs> just that alone, the, the yeah. family coming out of the woodwork. It would be cool to see dry. a scenario like that. Like, j- just to, like, see a scenario of, like, you winning the lottery to, like, Oh, yeah. How would it affect each, every other person, including yourself? Yeah, it, it would be cool to like if do you a could test like trial or something. Yeah. I don't know. But, yeah, just as, like, can you make all the right decisions so you end up with most like of the video money game? and don't die? <laughs> Cause, oh, yeah, it, even if you do everything you think is best and you somehow manage to hide it from your family or you, you have a good enough family that they're not all rabid about it while yeah. you're alive, as soon as you die... I think that next generation is just going to wipe themselves out. Because, like, you have to either will that money to somebody or you, you, you know, might be able donate to split it. it up, though. And, do you know, as you portions. do your will, I'm sure the information that you were a lottery winner would come out. And there's going to be a lot of grief for the fact that you didn't give your family your money. And I'll be honest. I wouldn't care what people think of me once I'm dead. Yeah, that's true. I don't. I wouldn't either. You can think the worst thing in the world of me. It doesn't like, matter. We're really not supposed to be all about... Uh, I hardly think of anyway. what people think of me now, so yeah. why would I worry? There you go. That's the right approach, I think. So. But I guess, yeah, the best way to do it would be, before you even make up your will, just donate all of it to charity. And then, you know, you can act like you never even won the There lottery. you go. It would be perfect. Eventually they would know. Well, they may not know you. If you, like, if you took the money, if you dressed up and hit your face and all that and took all the money yeah, and then you anonymously, anonymously donated it, they yeah. would figure out it was the lottery winner. They probably would. And then so, they could just reference out it was the lottery winner. And only the people in the lottery who will run it would know who you are. Yeah. So. But, yeah, there's, there's a lot of untold murders and, and hardship and yeah. blackmail <laughs> and things to try and get yeah, that there money. Yeah, there would be. There would be all and sorts just, of stuff. It's... It's dangerous. I wouldn't even want to touch it. I'd take it and burn it. <laughs> like, no more money. Hey, you'd, you'd probably help the inflation. I would, I would live stream it. <laughs> hey, like, I'm a lottery winner. <laughs> Burning one billion in cash. There you go. Biggest flex on planet Earth. There you go. Neighbors be Better like, than Mr. Beast. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably worse off than Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast actually does a lot of good stuff. That'll be like your first and only YouTube video. <laughs> I'd get blacklisted. <laughs> everybody would disown me. Just like everybody's like, no. <laughs> the money. That'd be hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, it's like giving one billion dollar to a homeless man. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it just gets eviscerated by his fellow homeless people. <laughs> Seem getting carted off in the background. No oh, man, that's terrible. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, in other words, yeah, I'm I'm not gonna approach that with a 10-foot pole and just gamble at your own risk you i guess right. it's just as uh just as addictive as anything else yeah and well, it's pointless ultimately yeah you, get, you might win 20 bucks every year and spend a thousand bucks or lose more than you spend I, I yeah or wait a minute than you get yeah you'll, <laughs> you'll lose you'll, more than you'll, you get. you'll spend more money than you gain yeah. in the lottery usually i'm mixing up my expressions english is difficult well, <coughs> anyways, let's skip the, the stocks. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand stocks. Yeah, me neither. Not not to the level that that's we your, should. That's your lesson for the week. Gamble right. at your own risk. Yeah, because that's what it is. That's gambling. <laughs> well, uh, have you seen, uh, have you heard of, uh, you, you saw that video I sent you the other day, right? Or did you watch that or no? Remember, was it was the one uh, about uh, like the first week of Biden's. Yes, I did. Presidency. See that. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of funny. I like that. But it's true. It's real fucked up. It is. It, <laughs> Apologies. I was not supposed to cuss, but it's, you know, <laughs> it was like, oh my gosh. It's, it really is a mess. And uh, I'm glad you sent me that because I've really been kind of detached from the political scene at the moment. I just saw it on YouTube. Okay. Was, I started watching. I was like, I like it. <laughs> from, from even just the beginning of it, I had heard some things, and it seemed like it was pretty accurate. So he made, what, over, like, 30... Um, executive orders. Executive orders. Which is the most... now, 42 or Which is more than any other president. Yeah. I think Trump made, like, six or seven. In his first three days, he only made one. I think I think in it, I think it said in his first, in Trump's first two weeks he made like six or seven yeah probably in the first or, couple of weeks like his like Biden's second day he made over thirty 
<laughs> it was <laughs> impressive. What the heck? Like, he's wearing out his wrist signing all of those. Dude, did you see that video? There's a video where he doesn't even know what he's signing. Yeah, I saw that. And he's like, yeah. uh, he's like, he's like, I don't know what I'm signing. He's and like, he uh, goes ahead and signs. I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> Come on, man. What's interesting, I saw a clip, and I'm sure it's been taken down now. I've, actually, I saw two clips. One followed the, the other by a couple days. But a couple days ago, I was watching clips of stuff, and then one came up. It's like, what's that car doing in the background? And it was somebody that was watching Joe Biden's executive order live stream. Okay. And there was a Suburban out the window of the Oval Office. And there was a guy in black walking around, and you could see him walking between the windows far away in the background. And that immediately struck me as odd because... Out the windows of the Oval Office is the White House backyard. So no one's supposed to be out there in the first place. Maybe Plus, it was a guard? Th- there's no way to... There's not a real way to drive out there. So it's like, why would there be even, even be a car? Yeah. I thought, well, yeah, maybe it could be a maybe guard or something. guard well, in the area. on Saturday, so yesterday, I saw another clip. And it was completely silent. It didn't have audio, but it was of a camera guy and a bunch of reporters being ushered into the Oval Office. Except it wasn't at the White House. It was at a place that was identified as Castle Rock. Was it just a remake? It looked the same? It was a set. Okay. And it was used in one of the more recent presidential TV shows. And that's what this location yeah. specialized in was okay. sets. But you could see in the video, that, so the camera guy's sort of you know, looking at all the reporters and he's being ushered into the room and he pans over and you can see a little parking area that has cars in it, which would be right behind the windows of this oval office. So it's like, okay, that's maybe where the car came from. And then he goes into the room and there's Joe Biden sitting at the resolute desk with all of his stuff for signing the Is this on is this when he signed all of it? This it must have been right before Cause, he started cause, signing. Cuz I know for inauguration day, they had like no well, I guess they had a few guests. They didn't really have any guests because right. of COVID. But they had what like 65,000 troops? Yeah. Yeah, because they were expecting like, some what big the resistance. Hell? So most likely, maybe he had, maybe he didn't want to sign it in the actual office because he was scared. Uh, they assassinated the, <laughs> I don't know. But but here's the thing, right? They've it got make any sense. They've got the White House under twenty four hour surveillance and yeah, guard. That's not surprising. And yet he's not even there. Where the hell is this guy? It's like that. <laughs> what is he doing? If, if he's where that uh, that casting and, and well, he uh, better not be out at Hooters. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna drive up there. He, he man. wouldn't even know where he was. <laughs> it's true. I can't get him excited about that. But if if he's where they're thinking he is, he's in California right now, which is That's across the con- or the country from where so he should stupid, be. Man. So yeah, maybe a, it is a security deal, bro. If this is true, then it's it's like just a full on joke. No, it, he's not even trying to be president anymore. It's weird. You got in, and he's like, yeah, well, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm about it. The next four years, I'm going to chill, play some golf. I, I, I'm not sure if he could. He couldn't play some golf, but... It's so stupid, man. I'm, I'm telling you, I don't think he's going to last terribly long in office. I mean, I, I think he will... They'll probably find something wrong with him health-wise, and... They might like how he's doing it. He, I mean, he can be controlled at the moment, which is lovely. Because I, I know Kamala Harris can pretty much... Uh, convince him to do anything so yeah and whether it's Kamala or all of the the people that he had pushing him up to the the top of the ladder anyway yeah it's like anybody else he's surrounded himself and I'm not sure it was even him making the picks but he's surrounded himself by a lot of people that have a heavy far left agenda it probably wasn't him he it's like it, I still believe he was gonna. He's a little nuts. No, he is. So, but at like at least him it. as a person in the past, he was far more of a moderate person. That's why they picked him to be the the presidential candidate is because he could appeal to more people from his moderate, yeah, uh, center nature. But everybody around him and Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi are all of a far left uh, nature, yeah. which is very scary because. If anything happens to Joe, and even if it doesn't happen to Joe, you know they're all breathing down his neck. Yeah. And when he's gone, they'll just have free reign of things to do the far left's agenda, which is terrifying at the moment. I don't know. It's interesting to see. His uh, 
his rating. What was it? The uh, his rating is going to be one hundred. Likeability, no. It's going to oh, be no, one hundred. I already it is know. Not. It doesn't even matter. It is not. They've they've already been calculating, and it's been going down sharply ever since he started writing those executive orders. It's been Cause tanking. Because he he not even screwed Trump over that much. He screwed over. Did you hear about the pipe? Uh, oh, the yeah. Keystone Pipeline. That shit pissed me off. That was stupid as hell. There's been a lot that he's done. Thousands which is of foolish. people lost their jobs because of that. It, I mean, the, the biggest thing about this, and you can apply this to every situation where he signed a pin on on those executive orders. It's a position of hypocrisy because he he goes out and makes a speech and says, you know, we're we're trying to unify people, and you know, all the COVID has been hard on people, so we got to get you stimulus and we got to build jobs. And he goes in there and cancels the Keystone Pipeline, which has cut a lot of jobs to begin with. But think of all the other jobs that's hampered because it's, it's made it miserable for a lot of the construction industry in all of the states where the pipeline's being built. It makes it miserable for the oil field workers and the people that relied on that pipeline being constructed to actually ship product. Yeah, um, It's going to immediately affect the price of gas. It already has. It went up 40 cents in some, peop- in some places overnight. That's going to be terrible. It's just... And the hypocrisy on... on because I think the reason he he signed that away is because it was going to be uh, against their environmental plan. Except that the pipeline, once constructed, would have zero carbon emissions produced. It would just ship it internally. It wouldn't be a danger to the surrounding ecology. I don't so, think they don't really. But care. right they now, okay. So once they canceled the pipe, how are they going to get the oil from up in Canada down here? They're not. They either don't, they're so not. it's going to drive the price no. up even more because we don't have much, yeah. or they're going to have to put it on trucks, which produce carbon emissions, they're just or not trains, which what produce carbon emissions. They're just not going to. They're going to completely disconnect. It, the biggest thing <laughs> that means think. is that it means that America is no longer energy dependent, which means we have to get it from somebody else. Mexico. So, Well, I, I don't think Mexico has much oil. They might. But Yo, hit we, us up, Mexico. How much oil y'all got? We're probably going to have to rejoin OPEC. Which is why during the Obama Obama administration, gas prices fluctuated. Four bucks, man. It's because they could lean pressure on us and say, "You have to pay more money," and we'd have to do it because we were dependent on them for our oil. Yeah. Which is why the genius of Trump opening things back up so that we would use our own oil was great. It went from four bucks to almost one dollar. Bro, we during Trump's term. Like, I think the lowest it was at was like right in like. March or April when COVID when hit COVID, and everybody lost their job. It was like cheap. it was like a dollar twenty four or something. I saw it cheaper than that. It, was it like, really it didn't was go nearly a buck. And a few months places. ago, it went pretty far down, but it didn't get as low. But it yeah. went down below two dollars, which yeah. is just awesome. Yeah. It, and now I just I've been every day. I you know I drive I drive past like six different gas stations, mm-hmm. and I know some some always have cheaper prices than others. And it's like it's just slowly going up. I saw it go from like one like it was like. Like one ninety, and it went like the two dollars, and now we're on like two twenty five. I'm like, oh no, it's just it's the end. <laughs> well, and that's why I thought it was hilarious. All of all of us took pictures of the pumps to be like, yeah, this is what it was like during Trump. Yeah, and let's see what happens with Joe. And it's I, already. I mean, I, I figured the gas price would go up, but which it, really sucks. But it it's weird because even. You know, and again, it goes back to the hypocrisy. But like one of the things Joe said to the oil-dependent states, I mean, the ones that rely on coal mining and oil production to keep their very lives in line, like that's their biggest industry, he promised them he would do nothing to cut our uh, our dependence on fossil fuels. And that was his selling ticket, and that's why they voted for him. And his first thing to do is to cut our dependence on fossil fuels. That's how you do it. We'll like, never see it out of left that's field. That's the biggest hypocrisy of all. And that's just one example of dozens now. Because every one of those executive orders, it represents some form of hypocrisy. Yeah. Because he says one thing from a moderate position, but the people that are breathing down his neck and also the people that are writing these executive orders for him have a different agenda. Yeah. And that's why his numbers are so low at the moment. And they're going lower. Because, yeah, people are seeing, hey, wait a minute. He said he was going to do this, and he didn't do it. He did the opposite. (laughs) I mean, what'd you expect? The, the The worst thing is, it's like, you know, we were talking about that video where he said he didn't know what he was signing, mm-hmm. but he signed it anyways. Yeah. <laughs> is now they're just going to write all sorts of shit 
And he's just going to sign it. He's just going to sign it. He's like, eh, I'm not going to read it. Whatever. <laughs> and it's like, holy crap. Is that what you want ruling you? Is just somebody who will sign whatever piece of paper is pushed his way? doesn't matter if it he's demands the death of hundreds paper. of people or not. Assuming he gets the paper from like his VP, Harris, yeah. or yeah. somebody he'll he, probably he trust knows, him. he'll just sign it. He will. If you get it from like some type of Republican that he maybe isn't a fan of or not friends with, then maybe he'll not. probably have somebody look over it before. So, <laughs> but, but he won't read it. He might not read it. Yeah. Can he read? Can I don't know if he could read, to be honest. We <laughs> saw all his debates. Oh, jeez. <laughs> What is this? Honestly, there was no point in those debates. Like, no, if, you should have just put him up there without a script. He probably would have been better off. Yeah, because he could not read those those scripts he had. He just or the teleprompter, whatever. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. Did, did you see the clip where he was walking into a building and it had Marines flanking either side? And oh, no, no, and he okay. said like, "Salute there, the Marines." But okay, <laughs> there were two ones. There was one where he says, "Salute the Marines," mm-hmm. like telling other people, and and then some people say it was like. Um, he said something nice. He said, like, um, proud of the Marines. Or, like, good luck um, Marines or good something. Good luck Marines. Yeah. But, but he still didn't hard. salute. Kind of He's the commander But if he did say salute, he should have saluted. saluted. But people are taking that and saying somebody was talking in his ear telling him to salute the Marines, and he just said he just, it out loud. He just reset it, like, it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me at all. He doesn't have respect for the troops, though. So it's no, not, he doesn't. He's not going to salute the troops. Why it, would he? <laughs> it was fascinating because... We all saw what he did to the National Guard, and, you know, he brought in all those 60,000, 65,000 yeah. troops, and then he just had them sit there. Bro, did you see where concourse. he put them? Yeah. Like, parking garages. With one bathroom, 5,000 troops. Like, one power generator that couldn't even power the whole area. Like, it's like... Those guys are just sleeping in the dark on cement. But the thing that, like, they won't talk to you about, so they'll, they'll show you that, but only briefly, because it's a disgrace... But the thing they won't talk about is that when Trump heard about that, he opened up Trump, yeah, Trump Tower, that. Trump Hotel in he D.C. Them to stay there. And they took it, and they're sitting there in luxury on his bill. Yeah. Whereas Biden, the multi-billionaire, Look is, at that. he's doing great things even when he's out of office. Let's go. I, <laughs> it, the funny thing to me, right? So when Joe was elected, in air quotes, uh, but he hadn't yet been inaugurated, he claimed he had the office of the president-elect. He claimed that was an office. And that's why he was trying so hard to get access to the presidency early, is because he was claiming he had this office of the, the president-elect, and he demanded to have this information ahead of time. So, you know, insights into the administration. and sort This of was thing. when he was making deals and stuff before yeah. he was president. Right, but it was like after Which he was elected. Which he have been doing. But so it's like he, he held on to that, and that's not a real position, but, you know, nobody challenged him. Yeah. Well, since Trump's gotten out of office, he has held on to the office of the former president, and he's created that title for himself. And since there Joe did it first, I think he's just in doing that, too. There you go. So he's picked himself a home base, and he's begun to, to be just as politically active as he was ahead of time, which... That move in general, I think that his main base is in Florida. That's far better than any past president because yeah. most presidents, you know, that, that were a former president, they would leave D.C. whenever uh, they were out. Yeah, because they would give the new president space. Well, so I know might... Trump moved from New York to Florida, and he did that during his presidency. Yeah, he moved. Yeah, his he moved everything main location. Uh, Obama did not. When he left the office, he stayed in D.C. And he made that his base of operations, and he was still politically active. That's, so that's he was he was trying to, I, I believe, I hadn't heard much about Obama except during the uh, election. I think he was trying to stay there close to Trump. But I think he was doing things politically to undermine Trump's presidency. Probably. Or just behind the scenes, little things, pokings here and there. But, you know, it's like he was the only president to date that has done that. He didn't give Trump space to do his own thing. Anyway, but no. now Trump is, is doing the right thing and leaving the space to Joe. I don't Owen. think they're like... I mean, there's no rule to it. No, there's not, but it, it's kind of one of those optics things. It, it like, showed that even even though you, you're not even if you had power. Obama for those four years, kind of like throwing a few jabs out there, you had half of America completely shitting on Trump, and he still was doing pretty he's decent. Still doing great, yeah. No, it's true. He was doing he's, some good stuff. He's by like, far damn. the most resilient person I've ever seen. Like, yeah, I would. You, be dead you, you in would the think ground. most other people would like just be like, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. But, but he, I, I mean, I don't he know had how like he does half it. of America just absolutely 
yeah. trashing and him. The other half loved him. For four years. The he other was, half loved him. It, oh. Yeah, it, it was a mess. I, I don't know how any one man could one take that and then be up for another four years of it. I will say, because he was an outsider and because he's like, you know, he had the whole um, TV show and such. Mm-hmm. I think he, he liked having the attention. Yeah, I'm sure so he, he did. So he was used to it and he was good under pressure. No, I think and, his his private sector work definitely prepared him for that. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm sure he wasn't sitting there looking at everybody's comments all the time. So maybe he could distance himself. I think from he's him. one of those people who it doesn't affect him for somebody to hate him. Right, and that's a good thing because we we should not everybody's like be, that, but yeah. some people just don't care what you think of them or if you hate them. Yeah, They're like okay. I mean, the the biggest thing for us is to you know as Christians is to. Not be mindful of what the world says to us. We just have to be preoccupied with doing the right things for the right reason. And regardless of whether people love us or hate us, it's doing the right things for the glory of God yeah. that must preoccupy us. So if we're being, you know, spit on or called all sorts of names and pejoratives and even out there being I don't know, killed. I if I get spit on. <laughs> there it is. That's not the last straw. Uh, I might take God out of it and just do my own thing <laughs> take, in that take moment. Take things into your own hands. Yeah, I don't we'll know. See. I think Christ got spit on quite a bit. I'm just he, saying. You know, it's it's interesting um, reading scripture. One of my biggest faults is reading the the stories of the great religious and righteous heroes throughout the Bible. You know, you got Abraham and Jacob and. Joshua and you know all of all of the greats, right? And reading them as if they're good role models for us. And uh, <laughs> I've been uh, convicted of that lately. It's like not a one of them is supposed to be our role model. Uh, it's Christ that's our ultimate role model that we're supposed to base how we live off of. Because if you read every one of the accounts of the greats, including you know King David and all of them. They all sinned, and greatly so. So, like, not a one of them, of their own means, even with the help of God, was able to be completely perfect, except for Christ. But Um, you could still look at them as role models. Because if you tried to look at God as a role model, you can't be perfect. No, but... So you're looking at something you can never achieve. But you can still Compared to something you already are doing. That's like, true, like, but you still need that model of perfection to work towards. Yes, and I'm not, I'm not saying, but you could also have those other guys as role models. It's true, and just it, take it's it good. and be like, I don't want the bad parts of those things. I just want the goods. Right, and to, you to can, look for. You could do that, but then it becomes an issue of like, were they righteous of their own power? And then you begin to go, well, probably not. It was God giving them that righteousness and faith to begin with. So it's like he, everything has to filter back to God and Christ. Yeah. Um, yeah, the very fact that our own faith is not even of us, it's a gift from God. And you can pray that he gives you more faith, and he's good to do so. Um, but that becomes the temptation to go, oh yeah, I really like Joseph in the Bible, and look at what God did. He was so righteous, and God lifted him up to lead a, the nation of the Egyptians under Pharaoh. And it becomes a great temptation to go, if I'm just more righteous, then God's going to give me good things or he's going to give me a position of power. When our main focus should be, how can I do what God wills for me? How can I you know, be active in my church and be serving the believers and serving the sinners out there and trying to witness to them? So it, it becomes a distraction. Yes, you're right. You can look at what those people did as good and try and incorporate some of that into your own life but if you don't understand the fact that like even righteousness and faith alone is a gift from god it's like it becomes a pointless errand yeah like shoot even solomon the wisest person that has ever lived and will ever live he got messed up in his old age with a lot of stuff he sinned quite a bit sacrificing to idols and, and all of that it's like not a one of them was blameless. And I think that's a good thing to witness because we are no better than any of them in terms of our own you know, faith and, and salvation and righteousness. And it, it's so comforting to see that every one of the people that God used so, uh, so powerfully throughout the Bible was flawed, 
which should come as a comfort because we're all flawed and terribly so. So it, it, the comfort for me at least is like you don't have to be perfect for God to use you. The important thing, of course, is repentance and faith. That was the first thing Christ uh, spoke of when his ministry began. His command and his, his message was the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and have faith. And uh, that is the core of the gospel message. And of course, that was amplified and illuminated when he finally died and was resurrected. It's like, okay, you know, repent and have faith in what? Turns out, have faith or trust in Christ and uh, his ability to save us because uh, we can't save ourselves. Neither the wisest nor the smartest man can save their own soul. And um, that's where Christ comes in. He can do it for us. But yeah, there's so much of the Bible that I'm tempted to read it in a, a self-gratifying way or in a way that that uh, makes me feel better about myself when, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest, it's like, yeah, I'm not that good of a person. I'm not. And... Um, it's only by the grace of God that we're made any better. And it comes by giving up our own selfish pride so that he can fulfill the righteous pride that we have. That uh, was part of the sermon that was given to us today at church was that all of our desires come from a core that was created by God. Um, you know, like the desire for greatness, that's not necessarily a sinful thing. But we, as, as sinful humans, seek to gratify that desire in a wrong way. You know, so we're looking to, to lift ourselves up bigger and better than other people or put other people down so that we're appearing as a bigger person. Um, whereas, you know, in the creation account in Genesis, God gave us authority. He created the world and all the creatures, but then he gave man specifically dominion over it. So he gave us a position of greatness right then and there. And so it, it's, it's something that's built into us in all of these things, the desire for beauty, to, to see good things and to desire them and to, to seek after them. That's something that is built into us as well. But we often pervert it um, just in, in the desire to satisfy it in a, in a way that's not honoring God, which... It makes a lot of sense. It's like ask any one person if they, they chase after all the, the fancy stuff, all the big houses and money and cars and women, um, if any of that satisfies at the end of the day, because it might for a minute, and then you have to go and find something else to fill that void, because the void grows. And if some, somebody's honest in answering that, they'll go, yeah, it, it satisfied for a second, but it wasn't even real satisfaction, even in the moment. It it didn't leave a lasting sense of trueness or completion. And um, that's one of the amazing gifts that God gives, is if you chase after him and after the things that would gratify him, that's glory-giving to him, he'll satisfy every one of those things. You know, like looking for a, a wife, in our case, a wife that is... You know, in a biblical sense, how we should be looking for a wife and somebody that's prudent and wise. It's like they'll end up satisfying all the desires that we would have in a God-honoring way. And it, it, you know, again, nothing is perfect on this side of eternity. So it's like, will we be 100% satisfied in this age? No. But we'll be going a lot further to have a God-honoring satisfaction of our needs because they are needs the things that are built into us, um, but there's you know, right ways and wrong ways of satisfying those things, and it's uh, it's it's a, a sad thing that the world has convinced itself that it can satisfy, and it it has the power to do that when we don't. That's the whole point of the fall. It's like we God was always intended to satisfy us, and when we broke communion with God in the first sin, and that was Adam and Eve's sin, but it, it applies to all of us through headship. But when when that first sin happened, we lost that satisfying and uplifting communion with God, which you know sent us into the spiral that we have. Nothing satisfies. It's only momentary pleasure that's immediately followed by guilt, if we're being honest in soul and heart. But 
it's fantastic that God loved us so much to send someone to repair that communion. That's the whole point he did it, is that we lost it of our own accord, but through his grace and mercy, he can restore it. I don't know. It's it's a it's a powerful message, and it's not something I fully comprehend because I don't think we can. We're finite beings. We can't comprehend an infinite love and an infinite grace. It's it's beyond us, but we can certainly marvel at it. It's that's too much for me. <laughs> oh yeah, I I agree with that. So that was a sermon you heard. Uh, this morning? Partly. Partly, okay. Partly, yeah. There was a bit of rambling in that that was... No, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, nothing... Nothing other than God. It's more... It's more temporary. Yeah. And then... Everything's you temporary. You have the guilt later on, so... It just hurts we, you in the end. Yeah. And, you know, everybody gets burned, burned out. And even... This can happen to Christians a lot. I, I mean, we've talked about this before. I believe a Christian can sin... And might sin a lot, and they might sin grievously um, against God and against believers, you know, against everybody. But if they're a true believer, God is going to continually be working in their their heart and mind and spirit to bring them back to a position of repentance and faith, because that's ultimately where every believer needs to dwell in. And you know, what do I mean by repentance? Because that's something that not a lot of people address. Um, it's it's talked about in Scripture a lot as uh, the the whole deal of confession, right? And we don't believe the same confession that our uh, our Catholic friends believe. But confession in the Christian sense is acknowledging that God is correct in His condemnation of our actions. So, like if you stole something, a confession to that would be, you know, God, you've said stealing is wrong. And I agree, I've, I've done this wrong. I, I align myself with your interpretation of my actions because his interpretation is true. And anything else that we do, if we're not repentant of it, we're not confessing it, it means that we're holding an alternate view of it. Like we're, we're deceiving ourselves into believing that that was justified or okay. But no sin is justified. Every sin is, is a perversion of God's law and God's commands. And so part of that, you know, the first step of repentance is, okay, God, you know what? You said these things are wrong, and you're absolutely right, and I've committed these things. So there's that. And then the next part of repentance is the 180, I like to call it. You have to change your trajectory, essentially. You have to go in a, a direction that is completely opposite of what you were going in. Um, so if, if you had a problem with stealing, it would be doing everything in your power to, one, get away from stealing, and then also protect yourself from getting into a position where you might feel tempted to steal. And that's what repentance means. And that's the first step. So there's repentance, and then there's faith, which is poorly defined in a lot of Christian communities. Um, a lot of people think of it as the, well, the blind faith, you know, where it's, Oh, we can't really see God, so we just have to believe he's out there, and that's it. Well, yeah, we can't see God, but we can see the fruit in our own lives, the fruit in other Christians' lives and in the fellowship. Um, and then there's also the, the fact that faith, as it's truly defined by the Bible, is not just that faith of, of believing. It's also trust. That's the biggest part is is trusting that Christ is who he says he is and that he's more than capable of doing what he's promised. Because all of our hope and faith is dependent on a promise, which is, if you trust in me, you'll have everlasting life. And then the second promise, which is he's coming back to get all of us at some point to carry us into eternity. If you believe those two things and really put your trust in them, then you're in a right relationship with God. And you'll start, and it's it's an interesting thing because um, I know this has certainly been true of me in the past. If if you've come from a position of heavy sin, um, it can take a while to get back into a right relation, a true right relationship. I mean, once once you repented and you're you're living by trust, you're back in the right relationship. But it doesn't mean you're fully restored in, in your heart because every time you sin and, and 
try and distance yourself from God, you're hardening your heart. So it, it takes a while for the heart to get supple again, and that's only through God's grace. Um, but yeah, it's it's a vicious cycle a lot of times because you can do good for a while, and God's gracious in letting us go for a while to to help and serve Him. Um, but eventually, we're we're gonna sin again, and that's that's part of the process. You know, like last week we talked about that uh, spiritual growth kind of thing where you start out as a small child and you get bigger until you're eventually like an elder or a father. Um, that's, that's part of the growth cycle. You'll, you'll sin. You won't even see it coming and it'll blindside you and you'll fall into it and you'll be guilty and then you repent and you have faith and you begin to look. And then this time you might see it right as it hits you and you fall again. And the next time you're looking again and you see it coming and you can you know, start to prepare yourself and you can fight it a little bit. And then you you still fall, and it's very discouraging. That's why it's so important to become part of a fellowship where you're dialoguing with people, um, and like asking questions and being in the Word and being preached to, is because it's you get so discouraged in your own inability to fight sin that you think, well, yeah, am I even saved or am I doing the right thing? It, you know, it feels hopeless. Because we, by ourselves, we have no power at all. Even our very strength is something that's a gift of God. Um, which is why it's important to pray, you know, God give me strength in these situations and to pray for faith and to pray for understanding of the Bible. It's like it's said multiple times in Scripture, God's good to give what you ask for. You know, ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be opened. Um so we have to recognize what we need. <laughs> that comes from reading Scripture and, and analyzing our own lives. And then it comes from asking God and then waiting because we have to be patient with His time schedule. I'm, I'm often impatient and I'll go, okay, God, just give me some wisdom. Just let me have some of this so I can understand what I'm reading. And I won't get it right away and it'll be frustrating. I shouldn't be frustrated, but... It is frustrating, um, but wisdom can come from other places than what we think. To come, he might, he might put you in an experience uh, or you know a relationship with somebody that would end up developing wisdom for the future. So it's like there, there's wisdom from all angles that he can utilize to give you. So it's like if you ask for it, he'll give it to you. It just might take a while, or it might be from a different way than you're thinking. Um, but shoot, if there's something you're lacking and you notice it, and you're, you know, very earnest in your prayer about like God, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm loving enough to people, so give me, give me love if you would, if that is your will. He'll give you love. He'll he'll restore you. It's, but you have to ask. <laughs> That's the biggest thing. It's yeah. the biggest takeaway. And I struggle with that a lot. It's so easy to forget. Yeah, the supremacy of God is something we can't forget, but it it is often forgotten in the light of the world. Yeah, especially with uh, the world we live in today. Yeah, where it's more frowned upon. It is mainly in the, the religious belief uh, belief of Christianity. Or yeah, to say or to Jesus. stay firm in your convictions and and to stay like rigid to what the word commands. It's so hard. Yeah. It's like that's that's why it's said often that any true Christian is going to experience persecution. It's like it doesn't matter where you are. And we're in the safest place against persecution in the world. I mean, there's people dying all over the globe for Christianity, yeah. but it's beginning to become a system where we're persecuted. And it's a passive persecution in, in a lot of places, but it's one that still has a lot of social pressure and power to conform people to the image of the world. Which is why, again, it's so important to know what we believe and to be scripturally sturdy, I guess you could, to know what the Bible said, to know what God commands, so that when something comes up that is contrary to the Bible, you have well knowledge of how to combat it, but two, if something is demanded of you that is 
not allowed by God's law that you can stand firm against it, regardless of the cost. And I feel like an infant when it comes to my knowledge of the Bible, because I've, I've read it, but I know very little. And I'm, I'm constantly praying for understanding and, and knowledge. And it's, it's interesting um, that my pursuit of the knowledge of the Bible has been only a very recent thing. I never had that hunger and thirst for the knowledge came within, for, except for like maybe the last couple of years, which is very telling. I don't know if that's just what God's plan for me was or not, but what's important is now that hunger is there and I need to try and satisfy it as best as possible, prayerfully and uh, on God's timetable. Because I have to trust that whenever I need this knowledge, if I'll need this knowledge, that I'll be ready and he'll be helping me whenever that time comes. Um, but we got to get the knowledge in there somehow, and, and hopefully it'll it'll come quicker than, <laughs> than I'm, yeah. I'm getting it right now. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I have very little knowledge of the Bible, especially compared to many others, but I know it takes time. It does. And kind of constantly constantly do it so yeah and that's another reason why church is so important is because a church is a hub for a lot of people that are old in the faith in the fact that they've read the bible for all of their lives and they're in that elder or father role in their spiritual growth so now they have the knowledge there so you know you're confronted with a question you don't even know where to look in the bible for the answer to that you have access to them through the church to just go talk to them they're more than happy to, to talk with you about it. Doesn't mean every one of them is going to know every answer to every question you could pose, but they're fascinated by stuff they don't know, and they'll they know where to look. So they'll they'll sit down with you, and y'all can study it together. Um, I've been fascinated here recently with John Lennox uh, and his insights into the Bible because he's got some incredible uh, you know comparisons and and things that he's drawn out of the Bible. His big thing is uh, Daniel, the book of Daniel. And he, he draws a very fascinating parallel to our current world, to the world of Daniel at the time. Because, you know, um, uh, the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem at the beginning of Daniel. And they took Daniel and his family and all of the Israelites captive and they brought them back to uh, Babylon. And uh, John Lennox's comparison was uh, Daniel was taken from his culture into a completely different culture. So he was forcibly removed and taken to a different culture that was completely anti-God in every sense. They, they had religion, but it was definitely pagan religion. You know, they worshipped the different gods of things, a god of the stars and a god of the moon. And they did not... They didn't want to hear about the one true God. And yet Daniel maintained a consistent biblical witness throughout his entire life in this culture that was very adverse to him. And, you know, we all know the stories of Daniel in the lion's den and also the, uh, the, the furnace, the flaming furnace that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were cast into. We know those stories. But his parallel was to modern day. Because while Daniel was removed from his culture he was comfortable with and that was God-centered into one that was not God-centered, we've stayed put, but the culture around us has shifted from one of God-honoring to one that hasn't honored God and that is actually very much against God. And so we're kind of in the same situation as Daniel. And so I've, I've been enamored with his series on Daniel because he goes through how Daniel maintained a consistent God-honoring witness despite his situation and his surroundings. Because we're, we're not to back down on things. Um, we're not to bend the knee, essentially, to the things of the world. Um, but we're in a tricky position because we're not supposed to, again, resist physically things. And we're supposed to, if we see sin, we're supposed to confront it graciously, but also rightly, I mean, with with firm conviction. It, again, it's why I say I'm so infantile in my, my understanding of the Bible, because everything is so incredibly complex. It's so simple. 
and yet it's so complex that it takes theologians years to even understand the most basic concepts, and then they don't even really understand it, which is, <laughs> I guess, a little depressing. But I guess that is, again, testament to the infinite nature of the wisdom of the Bible, which is what you'd expect from God's Word. If God is infinite, then the wisdom of His words something you can't even begin to approach in this lifetime. Which brings me back to why we need to study it so closely, because he can tell us things that we wouldn't be able to get aside from his revelation. But we all need it. We all desperate. I need it. I need it now. <laughs> yeah. If he'd give it to yeah. me, I'd take it. Yeah. We definitely. I agree. We need to. We need to end things, but. Oh yeah. Uh, I ramble way too much too. I, I like I that. I need to repent of that. Sounds <laughs> well, good. So. But I'm sure I'm sure people find that very I informative. So. I, I wish I could organize my thoughts a little bit more clearly because I, I do bounce around a lot. That's fine. Yeah. If it's anybody got something out of that, I, I would be very thankful to God for it. Knowledge is everything. It's a lot. <laughs> it certainly is a lot. So, Well, uh, yeah, we need to end it. So, uh... Any last thing you want to put in there? Or? Boing, of course. Boing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess we'll catch y'all next time. Yeah, we'll see thanks, you next week. Thanks for listening. We'll uh, and, have uh, a wonderful week. Yeah, have a great week. <laughs> see ya. Bye.